It's 8.30 and time once again for the Bible Broadcast with Evangelist Keith Allison. Well, let me say what a real honor and a privilege it is to be back on the radio again with another message right out of the good Word of God. This is Keith Allison. I am doing the work of an evangelist out of Demarest, Georgia. And I just want to welcome you to this 30 minutes of Bible exposition and study. And I just want to thank you for being a part of our listening audience today. And I trust and hope that the broadcast will be a blessing to you. And uh, I just want to thank you for your prayers. Thank you for those of you that call or those of you that may write or send us a, a note, a postcard, or even an email and letting me know that you are listening to the Bible broadcast. Uh, we are just uh, grateful for the blessings of God and uh, we're thankful for you, our dear listeners. Let me encourage you to go to our uh, to my website, it is uh, KeithAllisonMinistries.com. Again, that's KeithAllisonMinistries.com. You'll find on the website a short-term itinerary. In other words, the meetings that I have coming up over the next uh, four, five, six weeks, and uh, they're posted about four or five weeks at a time, and uh, you'll see where we're going to be. And if we're in an area where you're listening and where you're from, we would certainly love for you to come and visit in the church uh, where I'll be uh, preaching at. And then you'll also see the radio stations that we're on. And there's a link there to where you can listen to the archived programs. Now, these radio programs are archived and they are uh, accessible to you on demand uh, through that uh, particular link. And then you'll see the books that I have written, and we would love for you to order one of those, and I believe it will be a great blessing and a help to you. And uh, I have three books currently, uh, The Bible Truth for Marriage in the Home, and then one on spiritual gifts, and then one on the doctrine of sanctification. And uh, I think they would be a great asset and a blessing to you in your life uh, if, and if you could use one of those, then you can just go to my website and you can order that. There's a, there is a link there to the Scripture Truth Book Company out of Fincastle, Virginia, and I appreciate them carrying our books. And so, But anyway, at the end of the broadcast, I'll be giving you a phone number and a mailing address as well as repeating our website uh, so that we can uh, hear from you. And we would love to do that. I want to open the word of God today to the book of Acts chapter number 2. To the book of Acts chapter number 2. And I want to begin reading with verse number 41. Verse number 41. This is on the day of Pentecost. I believe this is the, the day that the church was born. And on the day of Pentecost we find uh, the Apostle Peter has just got through preaching the Word of God, and uh, these uh, other disciples, they were witnessing and preaching and declaring the Word of God in these different languages so that the different languages uh, uh, Jews from around the world heard them speak in their, own, in their own tongue. And, of course, I believe this is the day, again, that the church began. But I want to speak to you today on the fingerprints of a New Testament church. The fingerprints of a New Testament church. Now, if you have ever been fingerprinted, you know what I'm talking about. That is a form 
of identification. There are no two persons who have the same fingerprints. Every fingerprint is different. I understand they say that about a snowflake. There are no two snowflakes the same. And when you think about all the different people uh, and, uh, and how that, that, that diversity among the fingerprints, it is just unthinkable about how many different patterns there would be, just like in the snowflakes. But I do know this, that uh, every uh, church, the church of the living God, the New Testament church, I believe has forms of identification, just like the fingerprints on the hand of a man. Now, I uh, personally, I have a carry permit uh, to carry a concealed weapon. And when you get that permit, you have to be fingerprinted. And uh, that uh, identifies me. In other words, all they've got to do is check the federal records. Uh, and, and somebody run my fingerprint, and, and it would show up on, on the file. And uh, so I'm fingerprinted, and uh, that identifies me. You can't get around it. Amen. And so the New Testament church, now I'm not talking about something that man has created and that man has put together, and I'm not even talking about necessarily every, every place that has a steeple and calls itself a church, but I'm talking about the New Testament church. It has fingerprints. It has marks that can be identified, and this is how we know that it is a true church of the living God. And so I want to look at the fingerprints of a New Testament church. And what I want to do is to look at what happened here on the day of Pentecost when I believe the church was born, and we're going to look at a few things that were characteristic of them. And I believe that if a church today claims itself to be a New Testament church, I believe these things need to be identified in that in that local fellowship, that local assembly. And uh, so in Acts chapter number 2, verse number 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So I believe this was the birth and the beginning of the early church. I believe that when in Acts chapter number 2, the Bible said, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. 
And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So I believe that on this day, Jesus had told his apostles uh, after his resurrection to tarry there at Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which saith ye, ye have heard of me. So they were awaiting the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and I believe that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this group of apostles and believers that were together, I believe that this marked the beginning of the New Testament church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. So when he said that in Matthew 16, it was in the future tense. I will build my church. And so uh, without getting into a long discussion of it, I believe the church began on the day of Pentecost. Now, you may say, well, preacher, I don't see that. Well, let me say this. According to the book of Ephesians in chapter number 3, the church was a hidden mystery during the Old Testament era. It was not revealed in the Old Testament. It was revealed that Gentiles would be saved, but according to Paul in the book of Ephesians, it was a mystery that God would take both Jew and Gentile and make one new man or one new body, and of course that be in the church. So the church could not have existed prior to Pentecost because it was a new thing. It was a new work, a new man. And we also find in Ephesians chapter number one, we find that uh, Jesus, when after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven, sat down at the Father's right hand, and it was then that the Father made him to be head over the church. So he was not the head of the church until after his ascension, which happens in Acts chapter number one. So uh, the church, and then let me say this, it is by the baptizing work of the Spirit of God, which began on the completion of the Savior ascending to heaven and sitting at the Father's right hand, uh, it the, the baptizing work of the Spirit then began after that. So the church could not have begun until after Jesus had ascended, set at the Father's right hand, and given to him to be the head over the church, and then the Son and the Father in unison sends the Holy Ghost back to this earth to do his work of baptism, baptizing, that is baptizing folk, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 13, uh, baptizing people into the body of Christ in which he is the head. So there could not have been a body before there was the head, and he was not made the head of the church until his ascension. So I, I believe that uh, the church began on the day of Pentecost. So then we look here in Acts chapter number 2, and we see several things that teach us some foundational principles about the church. Now, if you want to see the church, you got to get it in its founding foundation. 
And that's what I'm looking at. So we're going to look at the fingerprints of a New Testament church. Let's take number one, the church's members. Who are to be members of the church? Now, I know that a local church is the visible body of Christ. And unless the church comes together in a local assembly, you cannot see the church. Now, I do know that there are people that are saved all over the world, and everybody that is saved belongs to the body of Christ, the church, the mystical body of Christ in which he is the head. But you cannot identify the church until it is localized in a local assembly. That's why we have the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch and the church at Ephesus and the church at Sardis and the church at Thyatira and on and on and on in the New Testament. The church is at, at Corinth. So the church has to be localized. So, but to be a member of the church, and I'm talking about the body of Christ, the body of Christ, we see there's two things here that he's talking about. Then they that gladly received his word. So how do you become a part of the body of Christ? By being saved by the good grace of God. It is salvation. We are regenerated. We are born into the family of God. And upon that conversion, the Spirit of God baptizes you or places you into the body of Christ. So that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit baptizing a person into the body of Christ, and that happens the very moment that they get saved by the grace of God. And then let me say this, then I believe that the church's members need to be baptized, but it is a believer's baptism. Now, I know in Catholicism, uh, beginning probably around the 300s or so, they began the infant baptism. And so what they were teaching was that you are baptized by the church as an infant, that they were baptized into the church. They became a part of that church both spiritually and, and literally by baptism, infant baptism. And there are many denominations who still practice infant baptism following suit of the Roman Catholic Church. And that is one area that the Anabaptist and and uh, that the 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 non-regular are the in other words it was the church outside of Rome uh, and and we trace our roots back as Baptists and that's one area that the Anabaptist, even before there was a Protestant Reformation, the Baptist push back against uh, the establishment of the church because they believed in believer's baptism. That's what the Bible teaches. And so they would, if anybody got saved and, and became a part of them, they would have to re-baptize them. So I believe in believer's baptism. I believe the church member needs to be baptized, but he needs to be a believer. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I do not believe that baptism is part of our salvation, nor do I believe that baptism is a part that puts you into the 
uh, into the mystical body of Christ. It is the it is the spirit baptism that does that. But I'm talking about water baptism. I believe that to be a member of a local church, you need to be baptized. Amen. In Acts chapter number 16 and verse 33, the Philippian jailer, when when uh, when Paul baptized him, or excuse me, when Philip baptized him, the man said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And, uh, and of course, uh, of course, we find that uh, that Philip uh, tells him, you know, uh, excuse me, I've got two stories mixed up. The Philippian jailer, uh, when Paul and Silas were in jail, they said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But then the Bible tells me that they baptized him and his whole house after they believed. And then in Acts chapter number 8, I was trying to cross two stories in my mind. In Acts chapter number 8, we find the Philip and the eunuch. And the eunuch says, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest, thou may. And he said, I believe. And so Philip baptized him. So I believe the Bible teaches without question believers' baptism. So the church members, I'm talking about the 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 blue the fingerprints of a New Testament church, the church's members, amen, they need to be saved, and then locally they need to be baptized. So members of a local church, they ought to be believers, and they ought to be baptized, amen. Secondly, let's look at the church's authority. Where does the church get its authority? Does the government grant it authority? Does it, does it come from the vote of the congregation? Where does the church uh, uh, derive its authority from? The Bible says in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly, look now, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Uh, the, the, the apostles' doctrine? What else did they have? At the time of the birth of the church, they did not have any writings of the New Testament. And so all they had was what the apostles had been taught by who? By Jesus Christ. And so as this early church began, it began based on the authority of the apostles' doctrine, which is in essence the word of God. In Hebrews chapter number 2, the Bible was talking about this. He said in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? Now listen, spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us. How? By them that heard him. So what did the apostles teach before the New Testament was written? They were teaching what Jesus taught and was confirmed unto us by them that heard them. Well, how do we know they were right? Well, the Bible said, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So because there was no written New Testament, but yet the church was now born, so how did we know and how did they know that the men of God were really apostles and that they really had a message from God? Okay, God bore witness to them, according to Hebrews 2, 3, with signs and wonders and different gifts. That's why there are 
transitional gifts that are found in the book of Acts that are not found, uh, friend, in today's uh, era of the church. You need to get my little book on spiritual gifts and it will explain all of this. Tongues were a temporary sign gift. So they needed the signs to confirm the authority of the apostles until the word of God was completely given. And then once we have the complete Bible, there is no longer the need for the sign gifts that verified the authority of the preachers. So the church's authority is the apostles' doctrine. In essence, it comes out to be the word of God. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture, now he's talking about all the word of God from Genesis to, to Revelation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's all the word of God for reproof, for, for doctrine. And let me say this, that here is one area that the Christian the Christians stand out above all the other uh, religious organizations in the world is that Christianity, a uh, friend, historically has always declared that the word of God is the basis of both their belief and their behavior. So as a Christian, let me say this, and I can't, I can't say it plain enough. Let me say this, as a believer, as a person, as a man who says that he is a Christian, I do not have the right to accept any other authority for my belief and my behavior outside of the Word of God, the Bible. And I'm preaching and teaching on the, from the King James Bible. Outside of my King James Bible, I have no other source that is the source of my authority. And as a local church, you have no other source outside of the word of God for your authority. That's what Christianity has always believed. Now, I do know that we're living in a day when they are what's called new evangelicalism. Uh, there is a new brand of, quote, Christianity. And they are departing from the traditions and the doctrines that have been formerly held by, by fundamental Christians from its inception. And so let me say this, beware and be careful about the redefining of historical terms like an evangelical. Used to, if you were an evangelical, that meant you were straight up and down fundamental. But now, friend, the word evangelical may have new evangelicalism in mind, and it may have other, other things that we have never traditionally and biblically adhered to. So the fingerprints of a New Testament church, we see the church members, we see the church's authority. It is the word of God. Number three, we see the church's strength in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. There's several things here that give us the strength for the local church. The word of God, verse number 42. The fellowship, how important that is in verse 42. Prayer in verse 42. 
the fear of God before their eyes in verse number 43. And then unity in verse 44. They had all things common. I'm telling you, friend, your local church will never be any stronger than these areas that they have in their life. The Word of God. It needs to be a Bible preaching and a Bible believing and a Bible practicing church. They need to be in fellowship. Can't emphasize that enough. They need to be a praying church. Prayer should not be a side element. It should be one of the main emphasis. They need to have the fear of God about them. They need to come together collectively under the fear of God on their lives and on their assembly. It's not, listen, we need to know that this is a godly thing. It's not about us. It's about God, and we ought to have a reverence and a holy awe of God. And that unity, friend, I've seen churches split and dissolve. Listen, some were doctrinally sound, fundamentally sound, but because of the division and the lack of unity and families and people not getting along carnally, then it created a split. So the, the, the I'm preaching on the fingerprints of a New Testament church. You see the church's members. You see the church's authority. You see the church's strength. But then we see the church's compassion. The Bible said in verse 45, And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. This is the compassion of the early church. If you go over to the church at Antioch, in Acts chapter number 11, they again give us a pattern. In Acts 11, 29, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. They were sharing what they had with the poorer saints at, at, Judea, at, uh, at Jerusalem. So the church's compassion, we need to have compassion. And you'll find it here in the book of Acts in the early church, compassion for the lost, Compassion for the needy, compassion for the sick, compassion for the wayward. Jesus come to seek and to save, amen. He come and he was touched with compassion for others. And may the Lord help us that we would not be self-satisfied just because we're saved, just because our family's saved, just because you may have a good church doesn't mean that it ends there. You are to reach out and to have compassion on others and constantly be aware of what you can do in service for other people. This is a fingerprint. If you fingerprinted the New Testament church, this is what identified it. And if you fingerprint a New Testament church today, this ought to be what identifies it. The church members, the church's authority, the church's strength, the church's compassion, the church's worship. Look in verse 46 and 47. And they continuing daily with one accord, there's that unity, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they did not only worship at the house of God, but in houses did eat their meat with singleness and uh, gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, amen, and having favor with all the people. So the church's worship, it, in other words, it wasn't just a show. It wasn't a once-a-week event, but by them doing it from house to house, it was a continuing lifestyle. 
And if all the worship you do is on Sunday, then your worship is not a lifestyle. And I doubt, friend, the reality of your worship on Sunday. But if you are living for God and can worship in your heart Monday through Saturday, when you go to the house of God on Sunday, you'll have a public corporate worship service. They have the right attitude. They were in one accord. They had a designated place to worship. So don't tell me you can stay home and be just as well off. No, no. They went to the temple. They went to the house of God. Amen. And then lastly, we see the church's growth in 247, praising God and having faith with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And we ought to be letting God build the church. He uses us. I know that. But I'm telling you, man has got his hands on God's work. And friend, man's trying to save folk that God ain't a saving. God will save anybody that won't save, but he's got to save them on his terms. They got to be willing to repent of their sin. And when you pluck them too green, when you get folk to, 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 to say the sinner's prayer and baptize them and take them in before they ever get under Holy Ghost conviction, then you've just put a lost member in the church and he'll end up as a deacon, Amen. Listen, friend, I'm telling you, that's what's got us in a mess. We need the true biblical church, and this is the fingerprints for it. Well, my time's gone. Write to us at the Bible Broadcast, P.O. Box 312, Cornelia, Georgia, 30531. You can email me at keithallisonministries at gmail.com. You can call us at area code 706-968-1182. And until next time, keep looking up. For Jesus is coming soon. 97.5 Glory FM is WGTJ Murrayville Gainesville and W248DL Murrayville Gainesville. It's 9 o'clock in